funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, two years of war between Russia and Ukraine, hundreds of thousands killed in the crossfire. We hear from New Jerseyans affected by the bloodshed. I have a community, the Ukrainian community, like we support each other, but part of my heart is broken. Also, the ACLU is launching a clemency program aimed at freeing individuals held in prison under extreme and unjust sentences. New Jersey is ahead of the curve, but we're certainly not so far ahead that we don't have room for clemency, and that's why we're so excited about this initiative. Plus, going green while going to school. New Jersey gets federal funding to expand its fleet of clean school buses. And two teenagers create an app for people with mobility challenges. In the Westfield area, its impact is already being felt. Any irregularity, any bumps could cause someone in a manual wheelchair to have issues. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. When Russian forces invaded Ukraine on February 24, 2022, President Vladimir Putin planned to have the country under his thumb within six weeks. Two years later, the war drags on. Ukraine is still standing, but the scars will last for generations. Across New Jersey this weekend, Ukrainian Americans are marking the somber anniversary of the war with vigils and memorial services at churches. Others are continuing collections of clothing and medical supplies to send to the war zone with ongoing efforts to help the refugees who've resettled here. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan checked in with several of the Ukrainians who fled to New Jersey at the height of the invasion to see how they're faring and if they believe they'll ever return home. We will never give up. We'll still fight no matter what decision is. We'll still find the way. Peter Anisko prepped a food fest for Ukrainians in Garfield as refugees marked a grim anniversary. It's two years into their grinding war to repel Russian invaders and the enemy's gaining momentum, breaking through Ukraine's defensive lines, even as $60 billion in vital U.S. military aid stalls in a bitterly divided Congress that once cheered Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. As the war started going on deeper and uh, taking longer, um, you know, it, it's just the same, the same routine. You're waking up in the morning, you check all of the news, you, you see what happened, nothing good happened. He believes familiar dishes can offer much-needed comfort. Anesco immigrated to New Jersey 13 years ago, started a restaurant, but he feels hope amongst Ukrainians wearing thin. After two years, uh, you starting losing energy, and that's 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 probably the biggest problem. New Jersey's home to some 230,000 folks with Ukrainian roots, and that community has opened its arms wide to the refugees. They've found apartments and jobs here, and they're grateful. But many told us they're feeling more emotionally overwhelmed than ever. In April 2022, Galina Paraderi expressed relief. I feel secure, 100 percent. 
I feel secure. I feel safe. A couple years later, the mom of two's enrolled her daughters in school. They're flourishing. She got a job in New York City processing foreign language documents. I have a community, Ukrainian community, like we support each other. But part of my heart is broke. She says as the war drags on, she's in therapy, fighting depression, grieving the life and family she left behind. Like, uh, I had a beautiful family and everything was... So, like, good. For me, I believe for, for sure I'm, like, we will go back, but when? I don't know. You stole my life. You stole life every Ukrainian person. Luda Holovko is also struggling with darker emotions two years after she and her little daughter Nicole arrived in New Jersey. Nicole's a happy kindergartner now. Luda's taken English classes, but she's reading news stories about a war that's pushed the civilian death toll to over 10,000. It's new feelings for me. It's angry. It's hate. I never hate people before. I forgot when I cried last time because... Like you just shut down your emotions and you just do what you have to do because I know that people are there suffering way more. Yana Braun's a Jersey resident, but her parents still live in Ukraine. She visited last November, captured the devastation on her phone. She says her elderly dad refuses to leave. He can't fight, but he's making camouflage nets for troops. She calls Ukraine a shield against Russia. Sometimes, you know, I feel like the world doesn't understand what Ukraine is doing right now for the Europe and for the entire world. Basically, Ukrainians stand up for the against the evil for the entire world. Unless Ukraine has United States standing behind us, you know, it's just we have no chance. Yeah, right. Yuri Bachenko heads Hope for Ukraine. The Jersey nonprofit shipped a million dollars in supplies last year, including 1,500 food kits a week to the war-torn region, where it also runs a temporary shelter for families with an activity center for kids. But he can't supply desperately needed ammunition for Ukrainian soldiers. Every day of delayed decisions, it's a some lost lives in Ukraine. You know, because when you have soldiers on the front line who have no bullets to fire back. And Russia is now advancing, he warned. But as the war starts its third year and Americans feel so-called Ukraine fatigue, the conflict almost becomes normal background noise. I guess the scariest part is that for most Ukrainians in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine, the war became a regular thing, right? People are feel war is kind of a part of their day-to-day -day activities. Dimitro Topchi co-founded Liberty Ukraine Foundation, and he's also sending aid back home, 10 million in medical and military supplies last year. Ukrainians from New Jersey will travel to Washington tomorrow to lobby for aid. For now, they hover between hope and despair, says refugee Daria Giachenko. I always have hope, but in all this madness that's going on, it's really hard, but I do try my best. She's cleaning houses in Jersey City to make ends meet. Most nights, she has dreams of going home. Anesco understands. No matter where you are, if you're Ukrainian, you gotta fight. Ukrainians say they stand united here in New Jersey and all over the world, determined to push back Russian invaders and protect their people and their democracy. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News.
The White House today slapped Russia with sanctions on more than 500 targets tied to both the ongoing war and longtime opposition leader Alexei Navalny's death. President Biden also blasted Republican members of Congress for taking a two-week break amid stalled negotiations over passing an aid package for Ukraine. House Speaker Mike Johnson has reportedly resisted calls to bring the Senate-passed funding bill up for a vote. The push for the money comes at a critical point in the conflict, with political tensions running high and lives hanging in the balance. For more on when we might see an end to this war, I'm joined by Alan Sanders, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at St. Peter's University. Professor Sanders, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, obviously, this war is ongoing. Will this year, though, decide what the outcome will look like and when it might happen? Well, I'm afraid not. Uh, unfortunately, what's happening is we're reaching a stalemate in the war. It's a long slog, and uh, it's unclear who is going to get the initiative as the year goes on. Uh, what's important, of course, is for both parties uh, to be militarily prepared. So Russia, of course, has huge resources that it can use. Uh, for Ukraine, they rely mightily on European support and, most of all, on United States support. And right now, the United States is in the midst of a political campaign, and it's messing up uh, the possibility of passing uh, legislation that would provide aid to Ukraine. So it's a long slog. Um, it's got to go through our own political process, uh, and it's unclear exactly what will happen in the months uh, going forward. How significant is that aid from the U.S. Um, and Western countries as a whole, but, but specifically from the U.S. in the grand scheme of this war for Ukraine? Well, it's extraordinarily important. Ukraine doesn't have the resources to produce all the weapons it needs to fight a war such as it is facing um, on its own territory. The Ukrainians are anxious as to whether they're actually going to get the support. And the Europeans are thinking about what they could do on their own if the United States did not come through. It's some $60 billion, that aid package. It's a lot of money. How much is the conflict in the Middle East um, also adding into what has become gridlock in Washington over the total package? Well, it's part of the package. Um, I think if you polled all the members uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives, I think you would find a majority in support of Ukraine, in support of Israel, and in support of Taiwan, which is also part of the package. But the problem is that the Republicans have uh, decided to uh, combine these uh, countries a package with what they want to be border security. But they've been rather disunited on what exactly they want as part of border security. And because they've been disunited and dysfunctional on that aspect of the package, uh, nothing has gotten accomplished. And so really it's domestic political considerations that are getting in the way, not so much international considerations. There's real concern, and we heard it from Ukrainians who are in New Jersey, that this war is almost becoming like white noise to folks because it has gone on now for so long. There are other conflicts that have almost been moved to the, the front burner. Is that a, a valid concern, and will that hurt the chances of the U.S. aiding Ukraine in more tangible ways? Well, it's a valid concern. Uh, Vladimir Putin has long believed uh, that uh, U.S. resolve and Western resolve would fade over the long term, <clears throat> that there wouldn't be the willpower to stay and to support Ukraine over uh, many months and many years. 
Uh, I think the resolve is there, uh, but nonetheless, it's true that there is flagging public support and there is flagging international support as well uh, for Ukraine. So it's a real concern. Uh, in this age of instant media reporting, uh, people want immediate results. But the reality is that when you're dealing with war or when you're dealing with diplomacy, it takes time for things to happen and for things to evolve and for results uh, to occur. The public um, interest in Ukraine has faded, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the political will, the underlying political will, is not there. Professor Alan Sanders, always good to get your perspective. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. Certain groups of people convicted of crimes in the state could soon become eligible for clemency. The ACLU of New Jersey is launching a new program aimed at freeing individuals who've been incarcerated under what they consider to be extreme and unjust sentences. The project is part of a larger decarceration movement throughout New Jersey. And as Ted Goldberg reports, this one has real traction because it finally has the support of the governor. There are a lot of people in need, um, and when they hear about the Clemency Project, it really does give them a glimpse of hope. And, you know, it's our mission to nurture that hope. The Clemency Project is a new program from the ACLU of New Jersey, hoping to lead to shorter sentences for people currently in prison. ACLU senior staff attorney Rebecca Uwakwe says the initial focus is two groups of incarcerated people survivors of domestic violence, and people given much longer prison sentences after a trial, compared to what they were offered in a plea offer. I was interviewing a client who was charged with a robbery, and his initial offer was six years, and the sentence ended up being 19 years post-trial. Another um, case where it was an assault, um, where the offer was eight years, and post-trial, it ended up being 22 years. I'm not sure whether it's unconstitutional, but it certainly impinges on constitutional rights. It certainly implicates constitutional rights um, when you get these sorts of extreme trial penalties. Alexander Shalom is the director of Supreme Court Advocacy at the ACLU of New Jersey. He's happy about the state's bail reform and other initiatives, but would like to see clemency used more often by Governor Phil Murphy. New Jersey's ahead of the curve, but we're certainly not so far ahead that we don't have room for clemency, and that's why we're so excited about this initiative that the ACLU is taking on and also about the receptiveness uh, in the governor's office. The ACLU of New Jersey won't receive state or federal funding for this. They say they'll do the legal legwork and interviews on their own. We're going to vet their cases to help prepare applications to send over to the governor's office to make sure that when the governor gets these applications, they're strong. They make the best case for why this category is appropriate for inclusion and why this person is appropriate. Plea bargaining and the trial penalty are in some ways a uniquely American innovation, something that we've become accustomed to, that we think of as necessary for handling caseloads. Uh, but fundamentally, at the end of the day, they're deeply coercive. Liz Komar works with the Sentencing Project. She's not surprised to hear that in New Jersey, only 105 people have received pardons or shortened prison sentences over the last 30 years. And Governor Murphy hasn't granted clemency at all since becoming governor in 2018. Throughout the 80s and 90s, with the rise of truth in sentencing movements and more and more political focus on being tough on crime, unfortunately, the, the clemency mechanisms in many states have atrophied. 
Komar says clemency, like everything else, has become politicized in recent years. Making policy decisions, making legal decisions like clemency based on the fear of attack ads, if a single person reoffends in any way, means that we're, we're defaulting to extreme incarceration. The Clemency Project will also look at longer sentences that are disproportionately given to people of color who commit crimes. New Jersey has one of the highest disparities, um, racial disparities, in the prison system. And so what we're looking at is this is not only just addressing the criminal justice, the criminal legal system as we know it, but this is reforming and this is really addressing and centering racial justice. Governor Murphy has said in the past that he supports the Clemency Project, even though the next pardon or commutation he gives out would be his first. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Ted Goldberg. In our Spotlight on Business report, this may be the last generation of New Jersey kids to ride the diesel school buses we've always known. New Jersey is getting a chunk of money from the federal government's $5 billion clean school bus program to go green and make the switch to electric buses. As Melissa Rose Cooper reports, it's part of a larger effort to improve air quality in our cities and the health of our youngest residents. Our children deserve clean environments, clean air, clean water. They deserve what should be an American birthright for every child, a physical environment in which they can thrive. So Senator Cory Booker is applauding a new $19 million federal initiative to place more electric school buses on New Jersey roads. And it's going to help with funding for the Union City, Elizabeth, Newark, Bloomfield and Lakewood. It's going to replace 42 school buses and create 28 school bus chargers. School buses, one school bus in the life of that school bus pumps so many tons of toxic fumes into our air. This is going to be a powerful step thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law, putting an unprecedented nationally $5 billion of funding to transform our nation's fleet of school buses. The grant is part of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's Clean School Bus Program, which funds electric buses as well as propane and compressed natural gas ones. Regional Chief of Staff Olivia Glenn says the money will help support the agency's environmental justice goals. This historic funding has enabled EPA to invest heavily in meaningful programs at the community level. It also follows through on the Justice 40 initiative set in motion by President Biden setting aside 40% of certain federal resources for direct use in vulnerable and historically disinvested communities. By providing these resources to these communities, we are creating a safer environment while also creating jobs and enriching the local while traditional diesel school buses are known to produce high tailpipe emissions, the electric ones don't give off any, which advocates say is a win-win for both kids' health and the environment. The shift to electric school buses not only ensures cleaner and safer transportation for our children, but also significantly reduces harmful emissions contributing to a healthier environment for generations to come. This program is critical because it aligns with Senator Booker's vision for sustainable progress. It showcases the potential for innovation and forward-thinking policies that address both the immediate needs of our communities and the long-term health of our planet. By leading this effort, Senator Booker continues to demonstrate his commitment for shaping a brighter future for the next generation and serves as a shining example of the positive impact that can be achieved through bipartisan 
the collaboration and a shared dedication to securing a better tomorrow. Focusing on our children, focusing on their future and their health outcomes is something that's so consequentially important. We owe a great amount to this next generation. They are going to have to carry quite the burden of things that we have to deal with in our communities as a country and globally. We owe it to them to give them the healthiest communities that they can possibly grow and prosper. Senator Booker says there's still more work to do, but he believes the electric school buses bring the state another step closer to creating cleaner air. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. Turning to Wall Street, the S&P 500 hit another record high as the markets look to end the week on a high note. Here's today's closing trading numbers. And make sure to tune in to NJ Business Beat with Raven Santana this weekend. She digs into the costs behind our furry friends, from owning a pet to a critical shortage of vets in South Jersey and the financial challenges to run a shelter. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. on NJPBS. We leave you tonight with the story of two Union County teens whose tech savvy is opening doors for people with mobility challenges. The students created an app that rates businesses in and around Westfield on how accessible they are for people who use wheelchairs or walkers. As Raven Santana reports, it's helping bring awareness to an often overlooked issue and more inclusivity for those in town. Pharmacies, that's important for us, restaurants, mm -hmm. things of that sort. My wife and I love to go uh, dine out. Not having accessibility information about a business may not sound like a big deal to most people, but it can be a frustrating experience for people with disabilities like Stephen Dario, who uses a wheelchair to get around. Dario is a former Westfield resident and was an avid cyclist until he suffered a spinal cord injury in a bicycle accident five years ago. Able-bodied people probably don't. Is the just the sidewalks, the streets, any irregularity, any bumps could cause someone in a manual wheelchair to have issues, to get caught, to trip, possibly to, to tumble, to fall, you know, to the side. This is, a, this is much more stable, and that's why I prefer to use it. What's challenging is knowing before you go what you're going to expect, and what's helpful is knowing from the app what to expect. Dario says figuring out where he and his wheelchair can go has gotten a little bit easier thanks to a new app called Access Wayfinder designed to inform people about accessibility before visiting a business in Westfield. And sometimes you wind up having to go in the commercial or the delivery entrance, which isn't as dignified, and that's something to consider as well. Places like Westfield downtown where a lot of the businesses are older and therefore aren't very aren't as ADA compliant as some of the newer businesses maybe which in which are located in businesses that were built after the ADA compliant act was passed. The app was created by 17 year old Krishav Singla and developed by 16 year old Ethan Lung. Singla says he was inspired by his grandparents who have difficulty getting up and down stairs. Businesses on the app are rated on a scale of one to five stars and focus on three areas. The entrance. Does it have a wide door and a ramp or no stairs? The interior. Is it spacious with pathways for wheelchair users to get around? Are there places to sit? And parking. Are there handicapped spots nearby? A lot of the times, a lot of my 
collection of data from businesses involved either me going into the store or me calling them beforehand. And sometimes I would simply just be looking at the store, but sometimes I'd also be talking with the store owner about accessibility and how, how this store is accessible for people with disabilities and how we could possibly fix this in the future. Hardest part for us developing the app was probably figuring out how to list all the businesses in a detailed way, like making sure when you click the health and services app, making sure all the health and services come up correctly and it doesn't appear on a different page. So making sure everything was detailed and organized correctly. While each score is average to give each business a overall accessibility ranking, there is also a space for people to make comments to recommend improvements to businesses. The users, if they notice something, they can also put it into the, oh. the thing as well. So we have um, ratings from the users and the business owners as well. Patricia and Paul is one of those more than 200 businesses rated on the app. Actually didn't have to change anything. We filled out the form that they asked us to fill out and we got the five stars. So all I do is right now is I'm actually more conscious about where the baskets are. If I have too many, I'll move them around. Or if I see someone coming in, I'll make sure to scoot them just so this way it's a little bit easier for everyone to move around. The teens say they have a disclaimer on the app to remind folks that they're not trying to punish or criticize any business, but hope to encourage other businesses around Westfield to make their spaces more accessible. They say their next goal is focusing on how to expand the app to other towns. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. That's going to do it for us, but make sure to tune into Reporters Roundtable this weekend. David Cruz talks with Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin about the upcoming budget address. Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's political headlines. Watch it Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on NJPBS. Then on Chatbox, David talks with New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection Commissioner Sean LaTourette about plans for Liberty State Park, the latest controversy over removal of lead water lines in Newark, and more. That's Saturday night at 6.30 and Sunday morning at 10.30 on NJPBS. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Enjoy the weekend. We'll be back here on Monday. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSCG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.